0: To the mini break your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, January 3rd. A quick reminder, we still are without our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, who's got one more day on his journey driving back to CRHQ. Thus, again, in advance, if I do misspeak, if a curse word accidentally slips out, whatever it may be, I apologize that you listeners will have to deal with that. Rest assured, we get him back tomorrow, and then we'll make sure this podcast is back up your typical audio standards in the meantime though couldn't leave you high and dry I mean what a spectacular 24-hour stretch it just was in the pro tennis world it's only day three of the 2024 season right and yet day after day we just continue to be delivered these headline results maybe it feels that much more significant because we have been without pro tennis for the past month but What an opening week to the 2024 season. And on today's show, obviously, I want to recap the last 24 hours of Play Down Under. It starts with a dramatic United Cup victory for Alex Diemenauer. He was a guy, of course, who was one of your breakthrough superstars, dare I say, in terms of jumping to another tier in the 2024 season. We know Demons a top 25 guy, but he finished last year top five in hardcourt victories. He made a 1,000-level final. final in Canada. And yet, despite all of that success, I would ask all of you right now, what would you point to as the signature victory of Alex Diemenauer's twenty twenty three season? I bet something immediate doesn't jump to your mind well he's already picked up a signature victory here in 2024 carrying his level from last season to the new year and delivering a monumental victory for team australia in united cup as he knocks out novak djokovic in straight sets now anyone hitting the panic button on novak djokovic that is an overreaction even too much for me here in this first week of the season. I know it's his first loss in Australia since the 2010, something like 43, 44, 45 consecutive victories for Novak Djokovic. In fact, I believe, in fact, that's how you say that word. In fact, I believe his last loss down under was to Hyun Chung in the 2018 Australian Open. I know Djokovic has had some wrist injuries. We can get all into that in a little bit, but the headline is Demon Hour who just seems to have found another gear, seems prepared, dare I say, to consolidate his spot, not just in the top 15 of the rankings, maybe he really is a top 12, top 10 guy moving forward, certainly seems to be on the hard courts. And again, on today's show, I want to break down the mechanics of his victory, talk about how he was able to earn victory number one over Novak Djokovic in his career. Of course, that wasn't your only headline result from the United Cup. If you have been watching Iga Swiatek, it is damn near impossible not to be excited about the level you have seen thus far. And look, Iga's a four-time Grand Slam champion. Iga's a world number one now for, dare I say, what, a season and a half consecutively. We know what her peak level looks like even compared to her peers, but I swear to God she's hit another level to start 2024. Looked real good after going down 2-0 and ultimately earning a straight set victory over Jung Chin-Wen yesterday. I want to talk about her result, talk again about all of those United Cup battles as we prepare for quarterfinal, semifinal round action as we approach championship weekend. But the best part is United Cup would probably be enough, right? You've got so many of the top players in the world going head-to-head. Perfect opportunity for us as tennis fans to be reacclimated with those players to start the new year, the best part of week number one, we got four other tour level events to discuss, and that's what I want to do, of course, here on today's podcast. I want to break down a busy day of action in Brisbane on the women's side. Obviously, you got to see top two seeds, Arena Sapolenka, Elena Rabakina, kick off their 2024 season. I'll offer my thoughts on how they looked here on today's show. And then, of course, on the men's side of things, guys like Holger Runa, Hugo Umber in action. We'll break down all of that. Also, probably your event of the day, your tour level event, I should say, of the day. It wasn't Brisbane. It wasn't Auckland. Maybe it wasn't even United Cup either. No, I think the best action from start to finish on Wednesday probably happened in Hong Kong. I mean, just match after match, deliver the goods, whether it was Rusevori, three sets over Hachinov, Tiafo, straight sets over Kasmenovic, or perhaps most notably of all, and I'm excluding Pavel Kotov, who maybe earned the biggest upset victory of the day over Lorenzo Musetti, no. Feels like it's finally Jerry Shung's time, as the teenager from China finally into a, I think, I don't know if it's finally again, this might be a moment where I would cut. We'll have to double check the stats here in a little bit, but Jerry Shang, fantastic in a three and a half hour, six, seven, seven, six, seven, six victory over Botik Van Desenskulp. It just feels like all the pieces are finally starting to fall into place uh, for for who again into the quarterfinals of Hong Kong with his vis- victory yesterday. We'll break down the mechanics of that one as we get into all of the action that unfolded over the last twenty-four hours. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in day out here on this podcast is because of the support we get from all of you listeners and of course because of the support we get from our dear friends at tennis point tennis dash the promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world of course if you use our promo code not only will you get fifteen percent off all orders you'll get free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all a free can of Wilson extra duty tennis balls tennis dash point simple not the spelling tennis-point.com the promo code is cr15 also quick reminder to those college tennis fans wondering what is our coverage going to look like here in 2024 all you got to do is head on over to the great shot podcast feed to find out that answer right now we're breaking down our top 10 D1 men's and women's teams entering the new year. I know here on Wednesday of course the coaches release their preseason coaches polls as well their top 25. So again if you want to see how our thoughts differ from the coaches out there you can go check out on the Great Shot podcast feed uh, all of those thoughts all of our breakdowns of all of these Various storylines, dare I say, emerging in a uh, as we approach the start. Excuse me of a new college season, and as always, my last ask: like, rate, subscribe, review. Not just this podcast, but that Great Shot podcast. Make sure you like, rate, subscribe, review. Of course, the Cracked Interviews podcast, as well as our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel, as well, always helps us with the sponsors. But with all that housekeeping out of the way, let's get into a busy twenty-four hours in the tennis world, and again. We got to start with the number one headline. Alex Diemenauer, or dare I say, earning his—I mean, the signature victories, uh, victory. Excuse me, of signature victories in his career. The demon able to knock off Novak Djokovic yesterday in United Cup action—a six-four, 6-4, six-four 6-4 victory for the twenty-four-year-old Aussie. And you know what I always like to say. Demon Hour is the oldest 24 year old, maybe we have in the world. He's just been a part of our lives for so long now. He played 55 matches at the tour level back in 2018 when he was just 19 years old. So, again, he's played what? One, two, three, four, five, six full years of tour level tennis by the time he's reached age 24. And yet, you look for Demon Hour in his career against top five opponents. Again, he is now three and eight over his last fifty-two. He is now five and twenty-six for his career. But let's be clear: all five of those top five victories—now six, excuse me—of those top five victories. That's weird. Oh, because they didn't count the Yannick Center one in Paris because it was a withdrawal. Duh. So it is still five. All five of those victories—they've come in the last. 14 months he got one win at the end of 2022 over uh excuse me daniel medvedev in paris last season wins over rafa rublev medvedev again and now he gets the granddaddy of them all again a four and four victory over novak djokovic that saw him face zero let me say that again saw him face zero break points throughout the course of the match demon hour served lights out in this one. I think he dropped two total points. Maybe it was one total point on his first serve throughout the course of the match, and I can already hear the Djokovic fans saying, well, Novak had his wrist injury. You're really going to hold this against Novak? You're going to give Hour all of this credit? Two things can be true. Djokovic wasn't at his best, and it still requires a monumental effort, not just physically, but mentally, to get over that finish line against the What is it, 23 24 time Grand Slam champion? Whatever it is for Djokovic at this point, he is the greatest men's tennis player, certainly most accomplished of all time, coming off of a year, obviously, where he very rarely lost, where he won three major titles, went 27 1 at the majors overall, and now he's been handed his first loss of the season here in the first week of the season by Alex Diebenauer. So, absolutely, even if it wasn't Djokovic at his best, you got to be impressed by the 24 year old Aussie's performance and I mean, look, from a fluidity standpoint, movement in and out of corners, no one's better than Alex Diemenauer right now on the ATP tour. Sure, maybe you'd like to put some other players in that conversation, but no one is faster. No one puts more pressure on you. No one makes you feel, you know, again, that the weight of his athleticism perhaps better on this surface than Alex Diemenauer, who. Just look at the errors he drew from Djokovic in the biggest moments of this match. How does he get the two breaks of serve? Well, to close out set number one, it's Djokovic overcooking a plus one ball. Felt that, you know, where does that overcooking come from? It's because you feel pressure to have to hit with that much more pace, with that much more depth, with that much more precision. Because if you don't, you know Hour is putting that ball back in play. Similarly, the break in set number two comes via a double fault. From Novak Djokovic, which again speaks to the pressure Demon Hour is able to put on you as a returner, that pressure you feel knowing every ball is coming back with pretty decent depth. I've mentioned this before, but I think the biggest improvement for Demon Hour in 2023 was actually the depth on his return of serve, the depth of his backhand in particular. I just think that ball is staying lower and coming in harder than ever before. And, you know, again, If you float a ball on that forehand wing, Hour, yeah, he's got that pancake eastern grip, but man, can he slap one by you. He uses his speed so well to where if he sees a slice coming from his opponent or something short, he'll use that speed, pinch forward to the net, take a volley out of the air, and just beat you to the spot. He's just become so effective in using the physical skill set he has available to him on this surface to help amplify everything he does with the racket in his hand. And you saw that on display against Djokovic. Certainly you saw some renewed plus one prowess. I thought Diemenauer did a great job not just mixing up his spots on the serve, but mixing up his spots with the plus one. Forehand inside out, forehand inside in, Backhand down the line. Backhand cross followed forward. Drop shot play for Hour. He did a little bit of everything, which, by the way, is what you have to do when you don't have the skill set to just straight up try to swing freely and overpower Novak Djokovic like maybe three players on tour can. And, again... I'm aware Djokovic was having some wrist issues. It was certainly a sloppy performance. I thought that Djokovic forehand more than anything else was spraying wide way more frequently obviously than we have seen over the past year but it's also week number one. Like I guess if you're a Djokovic fan the silver lining and I almost swore I almost said who gives an F there. I suppose you all know what that F stands for who gives a friend Um, but who really cares about a Djokovic loss. Like He's been as he said in the press conference, I've been injured the last two times I approached the Australian Open and I won it both times. Again, it's a wrist injury that Djokovic doesn't seem to feel too particularly hampered by. At least that's what he's saying openly and like physically he looked fine. I don't think he served particularly well yesterday against Hour, making, yeah, 63% of his first serves. That's not bad, but he won just 44% of his second serve points, and you feel like you would have seen more plus one aggression, more precision in particular from Djokovic had, he been, uh, had there been some urgency of it being a slam event and not just a two out of three set week one match. Like, again... I'm not taking anything uh, away from the 36-year-old. He is still your unequivocal favorite entering the 2024 Australian Open. I need to see someone beat him in three out of five sets on hard courts before I believe it can actually be done, uh, be done given how just dominant he's been over the past few seasons, but... Boy, oh boy, again, what a start for Andre Rublev, for for Alex Diemenauer, who now, again, a fifth top five victory in his career. First victory ever over a world number one and extraordinarily well-deserved. Like, again, Djokovic played well— Played fine, like played solid, Continue to put pressure on Demon Hour. And yet again, up 5-4 in the first set, it's Djokovic who wilters down a break uh, for the duration, uh, excuse me, up a break for the duration of the second set. Demon Hour gives nothing away for free. The intensity, the energy to see the crowd rallying behind Demon Hour. It's always special, in my opinion, to see home crowds rally behind a home country man or woman because you just don't get that sort of partisan atmosphere you don't get to play home matches very frequently in tennis and to see that connection between player and crowd amplified it just it makes a match that much more special so again what a victory for the demon it's just further proof i mentioned this over his last 52 weeks alex demon hour on hard court specifically 37 and 18 Overall, again, that's top five in total wins on hard courts. You want to look for him against top twenty opponents specifically. He's now eight and eight against the top twenty. Fascinating opening week. Loses first match seven six in the third to Cam Norrie, then four and two over Fritz. Now four and four over Djokovic. He's like a fine wine, right? The longer the event goes, the better the demon hour gets because you know for him, fitness is never going to be the question. Again, eight and eight versus top twenty opponents on hard court since the start of last season. Six and seven versus top ten opponents on hard court since the start of last season. Sorry, I'm gonna swear. Ear muffs to the kids. That's really fucking good. That's really, really good from Demon Hour. Other than again, Djokovic, Alcaraz, Sinner, and probably Medvedev on hard courts. Like, and I'm excluding Rafa because he didn't play last season. Those are the only people who sniff five hundred against top ten opponents on on hard courts or really on any surface. Maybe Casper against top ten opponents on clay court probably would like a would like a seat at the table in that conversation. But great win from Demon, and more than anything, it's just a continuation of what we saw from him throughout the course of last season. And it always felt like, again, if Alex Demon was ever going to go on a major slam run, right? We've said this narrative for. Four years? Five years now here on this podcast? If it was ever going to happen, something big, you feel like it'll be a summer, or excuse me, an off-season where he comes in as fit as anyone into the Australian summer and just puts together a run in front of home crowds that we will remember for quite some time. Certainly, this is a signature victory, maybe the best victory of Alex Diemenauer's career. Again, he knocks off Djokovic in straight sets, 4-4, four and four and sets up a sweep for the Australians as they advance now to, I believe, the semifinals of this event, and a huge credit needs to go to Ila Tamjanovic, who lost an early match at this event, but... Again, to see her recovered, yeah, she got to play Stefanovic instead of Danilovic, who had been playing all the singles rubbers for uh, Serbia throughout the course of the week. Al Tom 1-1 over Stefanovic. I don't know if she made more than three unforced errors throughout the course of the match. And again, it gives this Team Australia an opportunity to compete in front of a home crowd continuing forward. I like this group. I like the energy they bring. Again, I would want Alex Diemenauer on my team at all times. God, would he have been an exceptional college tennis player, not just because he's one of the 10 best or 15 best players in the world, but because he just has that energy. He's got that swag, again, that charisma you want in an event like this. Team Australia through to the semifinals, where they will, of course, be joined by Team Poland, who earns another clean sweep. I don't I I think Herkos lost one match in three sets, maybe to Davidovich Fokina, but again, Iga goes down two love to Jung Chin-Wen, 6, two, six three. She's ultimately able to take the match, so she wins 12 of the last 15 games now. Chin-Wen was under 50% in terms of first serve percentage for the match. Iga was under 60% in terms of first serve percentage from the match, so it wasn't always the cleanest from the plus one perspective, but... I saw my guy. I'm gonna bring him up for a second day, consecutively Juan Ignacio point out. There was a statistic, I think Ego was taking over 40% of her returns against Chin Wen, who's one of the 10 best returners probably we have in the women's game right now, certainly has one of the 10 most explosive serves we see in the women's game. And in terms of hold percentage, Chin Wen entering right now, she's, six, she's ninth in hold percentages, Chin Wen, over these last 52 weeks of play amongst top 50 players on the WTA Tour. Shout out to Tennis Abstract for providing that stat. Didn't phase Ego in the slightest, and... I swear to God, again, it's an eye test thing. It's superficial. I don't have the numbers to quantify this precisely. She just looks stronger. She just looks fitter. She just looks more confident in everything she wants to do, every play she wants, sliding in and out of those corners. I could watch her hit sliding backhands on repeat on a YouTube video for like 15 minutes consecutively. If one of Ega Nation puts that video together, a compilation of Ega sliding backhands, I might set that as my ringtone for like for the next month. I just everything's crisp, everything's clean. She I'll play Chinwen forehand to forehand because they both have those big loopy forehands. That certainly can be pressured by pace, but are going to work so well on clay courts throughout the course of their career. And you know, again, Chinwen now zero five in her career against Iga. They're all fun matches. It's all really high level stuff. I know it was two and three, but Chinwen definitely. Plays with the sort of athleticism, the sort of explosion. There's some ego in Chin Wen, and I say that in the highest complimented way possible. And yet, I mean, here's the thing. All right, let's just get into this hot take now. It's a little bit out of order, and I'm going to get more in depth in Brisbane in a second. So I don't know if you want to count this as the start of my WTA Brisbane breakdown, but like, oh my. God, did Savileka look good yesterday, too. Just dominant. 3-0. and Yeah, there were some errors in set number one, but ultimately just steamrolls Bronzetti in her first match of the year. And I'm sorry. Like, Rabakina looked really good in her round match over G- uh, Gadecki. No, it's Gadasaki or something. Like, I learned the proper pronunciation. I apologize. I booked your trip there. But, like, Rabakina looked good. But I think there might be a world this year where the delta between Iga, Sabalenka, and everyone else is just massive. Like, I just think those two are so clearly the best players in the world. Iga with the totality of things she can do, Sabalenka with just the purest power and athleticism of just overwhelming you with, again, third straight day, her chutzpah. I think that's my hot take through week number one. It's not even a hot take. I just think that's the take I want to roll with through watching, what, two, three matches of Iga and one match of Sabalenka. I think that's the defining rivalry of the next three years. Like, those are the gals. Those are the two who—and hot take, Alex. They're one and two in the world. But just, like, Coco winning that U.S. Open, I think will be the aberration of the next three-year run. Like, I really think of the next 12 majors— Iga and Arena should win at least 11 of them. Maybe maybe you say 10, and you'll give them a two-major margin due to injury, but, like,
1: oh, my God.
0: Oh, my God. It's going to be so fun to watch them match up. Again, the immovable force versus the unstoppable object. Sabalinka, of course, being the immovable force with her power. Uh, Shiantek with the totality of things she can do, the unstoppable object. Just like, I'm in. It, it, the level I've seen from both of them, I know it's only one day, but... If those are our top two, everyone, like, (laughs) I say everyone again. It's nice to use names. Jeff Sackman and Ben Rothenberg and David Kane. when I get in discussions with them, there's always talk about the strength of this era and is this a weaker era in this post-Serena realm. I just think the answer is unequivocally no. I think when all is said and done, we're going to be talking about Iga and Sabalenka as two of the all-time greats. Certainly the level we see from them at their peaks, again, extraordinary. And we're going to get to watch that in real, like we are going to experience it in real time here on this podcast. I'm going to be able to pod through it all. I just, I'm going to always try to make a note of appreciation for their level because, oh my goodness, Iga has come out lights out. Sabalenka was jaw dropping There's just times when she connects. Like I would never hit a serve to Sabalenka's backhand. I don't care if she connects with some forehand winners. I'm scared of Sabalenka's backhand, too. Like, again, within the rally, it's a little bit different. Um, things get a little bit funky, perhaps, after that. Uh, I mean, again, uh, but, like, on the pure return of serve, the backhand is just so concise in her ability to explode through it. Again, I wouldn't ever test the Iga backhand either. I just think the forehand's a little bit more inconsistent. I think there's a little bit more... Um, variety's the wrong word. I think there's a little bit more... Anyways, point is, uh, it, it's just uh what's the word I'm looking for? Oh my god. It doesn't matter. The point is the forehand can get a little bit shaky. There's more whatever. We're moving on cuz I don't want to get stuck on this word. This is where having Westoff would be extraordinarily uh, uh it would be I'd be grateful for it. I'd be appreciative. This is where having him is always extraordinarily useful. Anyways, that's my thought on Iga. Like, I've been holding it in. I've watched her play, and I'm just like, yeah, that's the best player in the world. And then I watched Sabalenka play, and I'm like, let me scratch that. Those are the two best players in the world. And I just—I test-wise, no one—as like as good as Sakari looked. And by the way, Maria Sakari looked really good in a 7-6, 6-3 victory over Layla Fernandez. Layla looked really good, even in losing that match. I think Layla will go back and watch the film 5-4, 15— or excuse me, 4-5, 15-40, Sakari serving. Fernandez hits this beautiful— Beautiful, I believe it was backhand down the line or backhand cross approach that Sakari gets to, floats back to her. Fernandez just floats a high backhand volley cross court, doesn't hit it decisively, doesn't hit it firmly to put it away. She floats it. Sakari with her speed, her athleticism, able to extend the rally, ultimately win the point. That's the set point Fernandez wants back more than the other one because that volley was on her freaking rack, and if she can knife off that volley, finish it, she takes the first set. Who knows where the momentum goes from there, but, I mean, again, Maria just kept on scrapping, and the moment, you know, she fights off multiple set points to get to that first set breaker— Channeled the energy of the crowd extraordinarily well. Again, used her speeds, used her size, used her strength. I was thoroughly impressed by all things I saw from Maria sacri Ultimately, again, a straight set winner over Leila Fernandez. And then was really impressed by Stefano Tsitsipas as well. Two and three over Steven Diaz. Now, he should win that match convincingly. But first match of the season, he looked fit. He looked focused. He was hitting the backhand well, and again, his serve, his plus-one combination, as good as any plus-one combination on hard courts we have, as good as any plus-one combination we have, period, across surfaces in the game right now. Nice first victory from him. Nice first victory, by the way, for Hoopy Herkotts. Not first victory, but victory earlier today as well. Three and four over Zheng Zhizhen. Got the early break in set number one. And you just know you cannot go down an early break to Hubi Hercot. So a shout out to Hubi, a straight set winner in the end. Again, all 3-0 matches yesterday, right? Poland 3-0 over China. Australia 3-0 over Serbia. Greece 3 over Canada. And then last but not least, I thought Caroline Garcia has played pretty solid to start the year. She seems to be moving well. She's fit. She's fluid. Three set win over Jasmine Paolini, who is actually, I'm, I'm like pretty impressed by Paolini. She's going to sustain her top 50 ranking spot. I mean, again, I know there was the WTA article I got sent where they were talking about this next generation of Italians trying to capture what we saw from Italian women's tennis a decade earlier. Jasmine Paolini ain't ever winning a slam. Let's make that abundantly clear right now. But she's not going to have to work a second job, I don't think. Like, she's going to be a top 50 player. I mean, she may want to work a second job, but she's going to be a top 50 player pretty consistently now. She seems to have captured a level of consistency to... Perfectly complement, accentuate her power moving forward. Anyway, good win for her. Manorino sustaining his level 4-4 four and four over Senego Again, France the sweep. Uh, now we've got a couple of quarterfinal matches coming up, I believe, here on Wednesday night in the States, Thursday in Australia. We'll monitor those, obviously, as we continue throughout the course of the week. Next up, though, I want to move to Hong Kong. That was my favorite ATP event of the day. I mean, four really, really good matches, kind of rapid fire through them all here. I I do think Jerry Shang, again, it's when, not if, the 18-year-old is going to become a top 100 player, a guy who had challenger success when he was 16 years old, Physically has slowly but surely been maturing, developing that strength, developing that fluidity, moving in and out of corners, but again, a heck of a result now, uh, for Jerry Shang. Now first match was a two hour fifty, one minute, six seven, six, three, seven, six win over Laszlo Gera. Now he gets the six seven seven six seven six three and a half hour victory over Botik Vandesen Skulp. God just knows how to play tennis. Like it's, it's it's gotten fitter in and out of corners, obviously, but Oh, can he explode through a forehand? God, do I like his technique, his ability to drive the ball cross, his ability to drive the ball down the line on the backhand wing, his ability to hit the inside-out forehand as a lefty, the spots he hit on serve. Now, he needs to get better as a volleyer. Like, this match could have been finished in straight sets, honestly, had he been a little bit more decisive in moving forward and squaring off volleys at the net. Of course, The set point volley he hits to close out set number two when Botick jams him with a a lot of pace right in his body. Shung, a little backhand stab down the line to clinch the first set. Like, the volley is within him. It's just finding that confidence to execute that volley with consistency, the confidence to move forward when that opportunity calls for itself. It just felt like so many times Van Dishinskulp was able to bail himself out by throwing up a moon ball, right, or just doing something a little bit funky to extend a rally, and Chung didn't capitalize on that funkiness, but... All the pieces are there. They're starting to fall into place. And again, for Jerry Shung, I believe he becomes the second player born in 2005 to ever reach an ATP quarterfinal. In fact, this is indeed his first tour-level quarterfinal. I said we'd get back to check on that. I am correct. It's now Jerry Shung and Dino Prismich, the only two to ever reach an ATP quarterfinal born in 2005. And Again, if you listen to my podcast with Damian Koost about a week, week and a half ago, naming the players who I thought would make top 100 debuts this year, they're both on the list. Two young guys who've been extraordinarily talented, who have been in that conversation their entire lives. I just love the lefties game. And again, 677676. He's been on court over six hours in two matches here in 2024, and it's Wednesday, January 3rd. Kids got the fight. Kids got the intensity, makes the most of his wild card. And now, with this victory, Shung back up to number 165 in the live rankings. Really love this stretch of the rankings where 164. Canberra quarterfinalist, 18-year-old Jakub Menchik. He was one we mentioned in that conversation. World 165, Jerry Shang 166. 21-year-old Delabor Srivinsa, uh, who, of course, we learned a little bit about at the end of last season. Still really good win for Jerry to advance to the quarterfinals. We're now a date with third-seeded Francis tiafoe and talk about a good start to the season. Tiafo 3 and 6 over Mirmir mir He was down 5-6 15-40 in that second set. Hits two beautiful plus one balls in particular the backhand line I think on the 30-40 point after Kasmenovic connected in a really nice cross court return of serve. Scumption to heat check and there's again it was just it was a sound start for Francis Tiafoe. Uh, he never allowed Kasmenovic to Put any scoreboard pressure on him. And the, again, the biggest thing for Francis Tiafo early in his career, there might have been some dips in concentration or some head scratching shot decisions. None of those from Tiafo who the moment he forced that second set breaker, saw eye on the prize, We're not going 3-7-4, he takes that second set breaker. Again, I didn't think Kasmanovic played poorly. I just thought tiafo looked really crisp in match number one for him of the season, so credit to the now 25-year-old American turns 26 this month. Uh, obviously, he's going to be looking to make a top 10 push here this season with the win. Tiafo back up to number 17 in the live rankings into an early quarterfinal to kick off his season. The other two winners on the day in Hong Kong. How about Pavel Kotov, one of your fastest risers of 2023? Kotov, the 25 year old Russian, now up to a new career high of 62 in beating Lorenzo Musetti, 6'4", 6-3 to advance to these Hong Kong quarterfinals. It reminds me a lot of Karatsev. Like, the guy just is a clean ball striker. And yeah, the forehand gets a little bit funky. Like, that ball is played a little bit close to his chest, but. Man, when he makes flat contact with the ball, does it fly through the court? He just constantly had Lorenzo Musetti on the back foot. Really loved, obviously, uh, the backhand lob. He hits on match point to clinch things. One of the better shots you saw all of Wednesday across levels, across events. But mm, I was impressed by Katov. A little disappointing, again, that Musetti... How he tries to manufacture offense is sometimes by forcing his way forward, and I just don't know if that's the best solution for him, even on these quicker surfaces. But Kotov was able to dominate. And again, for a Pavel Kotov, who re- cracked the top 100 for the first time in his career last season, you look for Kotov now. Here are his last three events. Finals in Stockholm as a qualifier, where he beat Kasmenovic, Greek Sport, Sinego, and Eubanks all indoors. Semifinals, Sofia, where he beat Baez Fucevic before lost to Manorino. Now quarterfinals here in Hong Kong. It's a top 50 player, folks. All the trend lines are pointing in the right direction for Pavel Kotov, who, let's be clear, you look at the start of last season, he lost first-round Australian Open, lost in qualifying in Doha, lost second round in Dubai, but had to come through qualifying. No wins at Indian Wells in the main draw. Qualified, but no main draw wins in Miami. Man's got nothing to defend until the clay court summer. Like, literally, nothing to defend, really, until a Marrakesh semifinal from the first week of April last season. That screams, I'm going to... He could be seated at the French Open. Like, that's how much room there is for him to gain over these next few weeks. And so, Pavel Kotov is a name to watch for. Again, the 25-year-old into the quarterfinals in Hong Kong. uh, Straight set victory over Lorenzo Musetti. And then... Long time listeners of this pod will know, my weak spot is the game of Emil Rusevori. Watching him square up on forehands, watching his body weight always move forward when he makes contact with the ball at the baseline. I'm just all in. I am all in on the game of Pavel Kotov, what I think he can accomplish moving forward just so so impressive. Uh, again, uh, Pavel Kotov, excuse me, Emil Rusevori, moving forward. See, this is where it would help to have Westoff. We don't nevertheless Tough loss for Hatchenoff to kick off his season, but Rusevori was more match tough in the moment. Seven six two six six two. Again, you just see so many shades of Yannick Sinners. He is fluid, absolutely not. It's definitely a little bit stiffer in and out of corners. Even the technique, or at least the backhand technique, not as fluid, not as round. Doesn't get outside of the ball as well. It's definitely a little bit flatter on that wing, but. It's just how his body weight is constantly moving forward. Honestly, he looks slim. He looks like he's put on a little bit leaner muscle over the course of this offseason. I know he dealt with a ton of injury issues last year, but it's a massive opportunity for Rusevori right away to make a tour-level semifinal. He's currently sitting at 63 in the live rankings, one spot behind his opponent in the next round, Pavel Kotov, who he is 2-0 against in the career head-to-head. By the way, those are fun quarterfinals. Tiafoe versus Shong. Tiafo's 2-0 in the career head-to-head. Rusevori Katov, Rusevori 2-0 in the career head-to-head. Of course, tonight, we'll get the season debut of Andre Rublev taking on Liam Brody. You've got Arthur Fee on Leonard Struve, Francisco Sarandolo all in action right now. Rublev still the significant favorite, 41.5%. Then comes Tiafo, followed by Emil Rusevori at 12.1. Tennis Abstract loves Rusevori. I love Rusevori. You should be sure to watch him play as well. Again, that was your action from Hong Kong yesterday. With that said, let's move over to Brisbane, and now let's formally get into all of our WTA results we saw there over the course of the day. As I alluded to, mm, Sabalenka looked good. Like, yeah, there were a few errors in those first six games, but then she found a rhythm, and then Lu- Lucia Bronzetti did not have a chance. So impressed by what I saw from Sapolenka yesterday. She looked like a player who, again, I think right now it's her, it's Iga, and then there's a Delta, and it's everyone else. Straight set win for her. But by the way, there were 14 women's matches in yesterday's round of 32 to get us to the round of 16. So we saw a lot of top seeds in action. Let's just rapid fire. I'll try to do 30 seconds to a minute on every match that we saw yesterday. Robacina, 4-1 against... Godiseki or something like again that's how the, the commentator was saying it I mean again it was a little shaky at first but oh when, when Rabakina squares up a forehand, you just are like man I'm in trouble because she can go anywhere with it cross court down the line and just overwhelm you with her power I thought she found her gauge on the return of serve much better as the match progressed I actually really liked what I saw from Godiseki like ability to Moved pretty well in and out of the corner. She could apply some plus-one pace of her own towards Robacana, and yet— Never in doubt. Never in doubt. Like Rabakina looked real good, real good. Keep an eye on her. Obviously, last year's Australian Open finalist. I don't think you need to say keep an eye on her to win the title. I think she's automatically in your top five contenders conversation. Looked the part yesterday. Straight set win. Ju Lin has a ton of points to defend these first two months. Grinds her way from a one six first set deficit. One six six three seven six. She knocked off Danielle Collins. Just a straight up really good win. For the fifteenth-seeded Chinese veteran to advance to the round of 16. Speaking of good wins, Elisa Mertens 266163 over Sloane Stevens. Mertens played some decent ball down the season's home stretch. Yeah, again, she's kind of lingered in that 20 to 35 range now. Sure, for or maybe 18 to 35 range for five years, you feel like you know who Elisa Mertens is, and yet her last three results: quarterfinals, Hong Kong. Title in Monastir now obviously gets to open up her season with a win in Brisbane over Sloane Stephens into the round of 16. Obviously, it's only going to get tougher for all of these seeds moving forward. Um, next for Mertens is Elena Rabacchina, Rabacchina 3-1 and one in that career head-to-head. By the way, Julin's going to take on Sabalenka, Sabalenka 3-0 and oh in that career head-to-head. Again, those are a significant lopsided result there. I say you had Magda Lynette 3-5 over Christina Buxa. Obviously, last year's Australian Open semifinalist. Lynette has a ton of points to defend here at this opening stretch of the season. So, every win's going to count, particularly given she did not have the greatest last six months to 2023. Nice for Lynette to get things going in a strong fashion here to start the year. Probably your biggest surprise of the day in Brisbane how about 16-year-old Mira Andreeva? The 16-year-old is now 5 and 5 for her career. She's 16 years old. She's already played 10 matches against top 20 opponents. She's 5 and 5 in her career. Yesterday, 2 and 1 over Ludmila Samsonova. She gave the Russian the business. And look, did Samsonova play well? No scholar would argue yes. She made just 43% of her first serves. She went 7 of 28 on second serve points. She threw in seven double faults. It was a rough start for Samsonova. But, man, you watch Mira Andreeva and just talk about the totality of things she can do. Fluid in and out of corners, can amp up the pace when need be, and yet still has that I'm going to grind you down, I'm going to be one shot better than you in this rally mentality. Really impressed with what I saw from Andreeva. Again, a straight set winner over Sam Sanova. Your other winners on the day— Remember when I said keep an eye out for Julia Riera? Well, the 21-year-old Argentinian, 3-4 and four over ECAT, Ekaterina Alexandrova, probably the biggest victory of her career from a rankings perspective. The qualifier now, dare I say, with this win at the 500 level, closing in on a top 100 debut, 21-year-old now up to a new career high, number 121 in the live rankings again. I owe you a bigger description on Riera's game style, and, and I will do that at some point this week. I'm for what it's worth. I am flying back to CRHQ tonight. Um, once I'm there, I, again, no longer burdened with the joy of getting to hang out with my family, so I will be locked back in the tennis dungeon. But talk about two youngsters making the most of their opportunities this week to kick off the season. Great wins. Get Andreva lost three games. Riera didn't lose a set. It's a really nice showing from the young Argentinian, a name probably not on a lot of people's radars. And then You know, again, speaking of young players who should be on your radar, I did a whole thing yesterday on the French woman, Clara Burel. Four and one, she knocks out Angelina Kalanina to get to the round of 16. Burel right now, currently sitting uh, at, I believe it's what, let's see here, in the live rankings, Burel. New career high. Welcome to the top 50 of the live rankings, Clara Burel. Again, she's up to number 50 as a result of this round of 16. I just, it's like a more flu- uh, Less pace, more fluid, Pliskova. It's like once she gets her hands on the racket, uh, uh, her racket on the ball, excuse me, hands on the ball, Clara Bureau can do a lot of things with that racket in hand. She's a little bit more fluid, certainly less powerful but I just like the Frenchwoman's game. I was impressed by what I saw from her. Again, your other winners on the day: Casazkina, three and four over Kostyuk. You saw the Kostyuk knee was bothering her, and you just got to be at your best physically when you take on a Daria Casazkina. She is just going to get you stretched in all sort of uncomfortable ways. Really good win for Kudermatova, 2-3 and three over Schmidova. Solid victory for Podapova, who limped to the finish line last season, 6-4, 3-6, 6-4, to get her season going against Daria Seville, Last three for you. Shout out Linda Noskova, six four four six six three over Serana Kerstea with this victory. Nascova now up to number sixty-two in the live rankings. It's funny. She obviously made a final, I believe, last year in Brisbane, so had a ton of points to defend. But obviously, the nineteen-year-old's done a pretty good job salvaging that, getting to the round of sixteen here again, knocking out the tenth-seeded Kirstea. Yelena Ostapenko, 1-4 over Camilla Georgie. She looks fit. She looks focused. And I said it before, I actually think 2023 start to finish. Yeah, the highs were higher for Ostapenko in 2017, but that was her inaugural breakout season. The hardest part is replicating that future, uh, that sort of quality start to finish in your career. And again, I thought Ostapenko was actually maybe had her best year, start to finish, most consistent match-in-match-out year uh, in 2023. She looked even better yesterday. She gave Georgie the business, 1-4. That was a really strong performance. But last but certainly not least, how about Carolina Pliskova versus Naomi Osaka? That match looked like two players who have been ranked as high as number one in the world going head-to-head. And look, Osaka ultimately ran out of a little bit of juice there down the home stretch, 3-6, 7-6, 6-4. Pliskova able to advance. The ball striking was Brilliant. The plus one tennis was brilliant. Osaka serving good, not great right now, which might be the scariest part for her opponents because, boy, is her backhand firing right now. And yet, again, Pliskova was striking the ball brilliantly. Pliskova did a great job forcing Osaka to have to make the first move, forcing Osaka to be the first one to open up any sort of angle. And again, if you give Pliskova an inch, she'll take a mile from you. She was striking the ball brilliantly. She's got a ton of points to defend down the season's home stretch, but again, 3-6, 7-6, 6-4, Pliskova able to advance. I thought it was a really good round, uh, really good first two matches for Naomi Osaka, for her to show this level, for her movement to look as solid as it has given the year layoff. I think that's something to be impressed about. It's something certainly for her to build on moving forward, but it's a heck of a win for Pliskova to get her season started. And again, Listen to these round of sixteen matchups in Brisbane. I promise this is going to be our lead tomorrow. We've got Sabalenka versus Julin, seed versus seed; Lynette versus Kasatkina, seed versus seed; Ostapenko versus Pliskova, seed versus seed; Kudermatova versus Potapova, seed versus seed, and two top twenty-five players: Mertens versus Rabakina, seed versus seed. And then again, your other three matches are Burel versus Azarenka, in. Riera versus Noskova, two young names you got to get familiar with, in and then a massive opportunity for Mira Andriva taking on in Arena Rodianova, who, by the way, you know, again, it's always nice to see the 34 year old veteran sneak in a nice performance like that. It's going to be a really fun round of 16 in Brisbane. Again, this is probably the event to follow most closely moving forward because it does feature so many. Potential Australian Open third round, fourth round matchups and perhaps offers our best preview uh, for what we might see at the year's first major in the women's singles side of things. So again, we're locked into Brisbane. Right now, Sabalenka, 35.3% favorite to win the event. Then Rabakina, 273 after that. A big dip. All the way to Ostapanka at 6.4%. I kind of like that uh, for Yelena Astapenko. Again, speaks to how good she has been over the past year and the metrics starting to acknowledge that as well. Still, that's your women's Brisbane update on the men's side. Far fewer matches. Obviously, you got two events at a single site. You got to focus on the women's action yesterday, but did have five matches in play on the men's side. Don't have to spend too long on any of these. Shevchenko, well, maybe I should, but Shevchenko Runa was a really good match, and yet, I know Shevchenko won a set. You know, six four five seven six two. Runa able to win it. And those of you who don't nerd out the way I do, perhaps are a little bit less familiar with the twenty-three-year-old Russian's game. For the, what it's worth, though, the Russian at a career high forty-seven in the live rankings at this point. Holger looks. Good. He looks fit. He looks focused. All the plays in his playbook on display through these first two matches. I mean again, yeah, he dropped the set. It had more to do with Shevchenko's level than it did with him think Runa was doing wrong and most encouraging after losing that marathon second set Holgeruna broke Shevchenko right away to start set number three, and that's what veterans do after dropping a tight set. They bounce right back. They're able to get the job done. Again, a credit to Holgeruna. 6 6'2 in the third. He's able to knock out Alexander Shevchenko. advance to the quarterfinals where a date with the Duck. James Duckworth awaits. Duckworth, four, six, six, one 7 six. He knocks out Yannick Hoffman. Uh again. God, his forehand is a missile when he has time to light it up. Other than that, shout-out Roman Cefuelin. Fought off, I think it was five match points that Popperin had yesterday. Cefuelin from 5-2 down in the third, ultimately 6-7, 6-4, 7-6. He was able to knock off Popperin. Now the match points were on Cefuelin's serve. Um... The backhand lob he hit to secure the break, by the way, to get back on serve for 4-5 or five in the third set. Mwah. One of the best shots we saw all day. Ramos just got the goods. Hey, as Brilliant of a—you're like, not going to find—okay, is he the best? No, he's certainly in that conversation of ball strikers from the baseline, the totality of things he could do, the fitness. He looks stronger. He looks leaner. There's something about his step. Again, Sifulin is just—he's looked really good. Wins over Shelton, Popperin to start off his season. Three-set win over Popperin uh, here in the round of 16 to advance to the quarterfinals right now. Sifulin currently sitting at a career-high 36 in the live rankings, honestly— That's where he belongs. He is playing top 40 tennis unequivocally, maybe even better than that right now. I'd argue top 25, top 20 stuff was just striking the ball so purely. But again, that's not a bad performance from Popperin either. A really good match on both sides there. And then, You know, again, last two. How about Matteo Arnaldi? Another three-set win this time over Lucas Klein. You look for Arnaldi, another guy at a career-high 40 in the live rankings. Just a casual quarterfinal. A couple three-set wins for him. That's what the veterans do as they consolidate their spots in the top 50. And then how about Hugo Umbert? Four and four doesn't do justice uh, in the control he had yesterday over Alex Mickelson because Umbert broke Mickelson in Mickelson's opening service game in both sets one and two. And again... Mickelson, when he's able to play plus one tennis, when he's able to play on his front foot, when he's able to play on his terms, elite, elite stuff, he's just not fit enough to be a top 25 player yet. He's not quick enough in and out of corners. He can show that level certainly on a point-by-point basis, but he's just not quite where he needs to be physically to sustain that level over the course of a match and yet he's 19 years old. Like, again, if your only question about someone is the physicality they bring and they're 19 years old and already sitting at a career-high number 92 in the live rankings, I don't have questions about Alex Mickelson moving forward. Will he be a top 100 player? It's, again, what will his fitness allow him to be from an upside standpoint because, the, again, umbert has got some potent weapons. He's got a real plus-one game. That lefty serve Yankee out wide. Plus-one forehand can go anywhere. It just overwhelmed Mickelson. That was very clear. He just did not have the physicality to match with that. The moment Umber got those breaks, he was able to be the front runner and never look back. Again, a really good win from Ugo Umber, but for those of you wondering, again, what's the question about Alex Mickelson? For me, it's it's all fitness related. How quick can he get? How fluid can he be in out of corners? You saw that certainly exposed uh, by Umber yesterday. Really smart tactical game plan. Really crisp playing, in my opinion from Umber, again, ultimately a straight set winner, and you look at that Brisbane draw right now, entering uh, the second half of the round of 16, Hogaruna, second favorite, he's at 23.8%, you've got Dimitrov, who's got Eltmeyer tonight, 30.6%, Umber at 15.2%, Sifulin's so up to 9%, by the way, Sifulin, so Arinaldi, if you like good, fluid athletes who strike the ball brilliantly from the baseline, that's like, that's just going to be a damn good match in the quarterfinals. That's one to certainly circle for Thursday, and I'm sure we will talk about it on Friday's show. But, of course, tonight you've gotten a doll back on court playing Kubler. Our boy Rinky Hijikata taking on Thomas Mychek, Umber Thompson, Altmaier, Dimitrov. Plenty of good stuff on the men's side to complement the women's action in Brisbane this week. Last but certainly not least on the WTA side of things, let's head over to Auckland. Again, dare I say this was the most nondescript of the days we had across our tour level play. Shout out to our girl, Emma Navarro. Another just casual quarterfinal for Navarro this time in Auckland. Straight set victory, 1 and 2 over Avanisi. And you look for Navarro now. Uh, Emma Navarro currently sitting, let's see, at number 31, career high. She will be seated at the Australian Open. She's playing college tennis 19 months ago. That's nuts, considering she hasn't had one of those headline slam results the way Shelton has. She's done it the old-fashioned way. 90 matches in a 13-month stretch. So much winning. I think this is her 16th quarterfinal since the start of last season. I think it's her fifth at the tour level. She's just the real deal, folks. Heck of a win for Navarro in straight sets. Really nice win for Marie Boschkova as well. Now, Amanda Nisimova was open in saying... Yeah, the ground strokes might look good, but my fitness is nowhere near it needs to be. You need good fitness against Boschkova. She exposed it. Owen one over Anisimova, Good win for a Boschkova who struggled to make quarterfinals throughout the front half of most of last season. Started to find her rhythm at the end of the year, but... You know, Boscova kind of needed this one to get things going back up to 35 now in the live rankings. Huge win for Diane Perry, who again on the right day you'll see her serve, you'll see her forehand combination, and you're gonna ask yourself you know, what is the upside for Perry moving forward? I really like her game, obviously, and the former top five junior in the world, 21 years old now, back up to 70 in the live rankings after making this quarter 266461. Just was able to out first strike Serenka, was able to set that match on her terms despite the physical. Zicali Sarenko brings a good victory for her and then a heck of a victory uh, for the less heralded of the two, uh, you know, again, lefty, righty, we call him Wang Xinyu, Wang Xiyu. It was Xiyu, the 22-year-old from China, able to knock off Wang Xinyu, uh, six, uh, excuse me, seven, six in the third, back up to number 65 in the live rankings is Wang Xiyu following the victories and into the quarterfinals to set up a date with Diane Perry. Of course, tonight, if you're going to watch any matches, it might be Auckland as Coco Gauff's going to take on Brenda Fruvertova preview that match extensively yesterday. Emirata Kanu going to take on Alina Svitolina. I know that's a fun one for everyone to enjoy as well. So we'll do more time on Auckland tomorrow as we catch up on all of that round of 16 action and set up the scene for quarterfinal Friday, our first quarterfinal Friday of the 2024 season. Last but certainly not least, let's talk about the challengers. Let's talk about the WTA 125K action. Shout out to Clara Tawson. Tossing into the quarterfinals wins now over Gulabic and qualifier Fiona Farrow uh, to get to this quarterfinals. She's going to take on 17 year old American Maya Joint, the Texas commit, who I believe is a fellow Michigander. uh, Ultimately, how about this wild card into this event wins now over Sarah Arani, two and three. She beats uh, German. Ella Seidel yesterday, six four in the third. Again, a massive opportunity for Tossin, but how about that for the wildcard joint? By far her best result of her pro career, and with the result, Maya joint now up to a new career high, number five, uh, 571. I said American. I think she might be Australian. Excuse me. Uh, I can't believe I said uh, American and suggested she well She was American-born. I think she—yeah, she's from Gross Point. Gross Point, Michigan. I don't know why I said that as if all of you would know where Gross Point is. Shout out to Maya Joint. She has just moved up the Alex power rankings of things I will be watching and monitoring for at all times this year. But uh, again, that one's a little bit. You, know, you look at the quarterfinals there. Tossin's the one I'm watching for most closely because if she's healthy, she should be a top 25 player in the world. But shout out to her, American Katie Volynets, into just a casual uh, quarterfinal as well. And you know, again, Katie Volynets, someone who has been knocking on the door of consistent top 100 status now for over a year. Volynets up to number 107 as a result of this quarterfinal knocking on the door once again. Uh, You look there, Dart, Hippino, there, Parises, Diaz, Doden, your other favorites right now. It's tossing the favorite according to Tennis Abstract, 37.9%. On the challenger side of things, Canberra is the one for me, but there's a lot of good challenger action, four of them this week. You look at those challenger quarterfinals in Canberra. How about Brandon Nakashima, 2-1 over Dino Prismich yesterday. Now, Prismich didn't really have it, but... It's when, not if, B. Nock returns to the top 100. He just looks like he has that 2022 form again, which, again, the tennis world's a better place when Brandon Nakashima is playing his best tennis. He's going to take on a rising. Tristan Skulkate and you know I got the chance to know Skulkate during the Bloomfield Hills challenger the 22 year old Aussie current four off his career high is currently 248 in the rankings just another casual quarterfinal appearance for him he got a 7-6 in the third win over Michael Moe yesterday that's a really good win for the Aussie to set up another American matchup taking on Nakashima but look I love this you've got College players in all four quarterfinals in Canberra. Former number one college player, Dom Kopefer, top seed, going to take on David Goffin. You've got former Kentucky All-American Gab Diallo. He's into another quarterfinal. He uh, now up to, I believe, 137 in the live rankings. He'll take on Mateo Gigante. You've got 18-year-old Jakub Menchik, taking on former Virginia All-American Alex Richard as well. It's pretty even across the board. It's interesting. Nakashima, 37.9% favorite. That's too high because Gofen at 18.2, Cope for 14%, Diallo 15.2%. Those numbers, those margins should be smaller uh, across the board. Still shout out, of course, to that set of challengers. And then right now, your other favorites, Luca Pui, the favorite in Nantaburi, uh, the qualifier, 45.1% favorite. You've got college guys in Val Vachero from Texas A&M, Brandon Holt, USC, still alive in that event. In Oueris, uh, shout out Paul Jubb. He's in the round of six, and you've got Ty Kwiatkowski still alive. I think they had some rain there yesterday so they're a little bit behind Quarterfinals in Numea, though, or they're actually just still playing today because they're in Europe. Quarterfinals in Noumea. Uh, Gasquet still alive. Pair still alive. In fact, you've got five of the top eight seeds still alive. Constant Lestien, Nicolas Moreno de Elberon knocked out yesterday, as was Patrick Kipps in your Australian Open wildcard challenge winner on the USTA side of things. Knocked out by the rising 21-year-old Frenchman Arthur 6 6'2 in the third. Cazot into the top 125, I believe, a new career high in the rankings. Uh, no, excuse me, 126. He's 7'2". Off his career high is the 21-year-old right now in the live rankings. And as of right now, your favorite to win that event is Richard Gasquet, 27.8%. Still, that's where things stand as we head or approach at least another championship weekend, our first of the 2024 season. And we will be back tomorrow to break it all down. Of course, we will also have the presence, hopefully, of our super producer Daniel Westhoff. Looking forward to getting him back. Looking forward to providing all of you the audio I know you all deserve. In the meantime. Again, if you need more content, great shot podcast feed, Cracked Interviews podcast feed, both rocking and rolling. A thank you, as always, here on this show to the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.